to Of Song and Bone, a podcast exploring ancestral arts and people's history through song, story, and poetry. I'm your host, Fern Maddie, and in this episode, I'll be sharing the audio from a virtual concert I recently put together, focusing on creepy and spooky child ballads to celebrate Halloween. I realize that it's been a very long time since I put out a podcast episode, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but if you're still here, if you're still listening, thank you so much. It means the world. A couple notes on the podcast today before I just dive in. Um, it includes content describing murder, gore, and child death, as well as some discussions and references to sex. So if those topics are not the right thing for the moment that you're in, uh, maybe skip this one. I also just want to make a little correction at one point, I say um, the 1900s. The context is I'm saying, child was researching the ballads in the 1900s or something like that. What I meant to say there was the 19th century, the 1800s. So to avoid confusion, I just wanted to let you know that's what I meant. All right. Uh, so without further ado, here's the tape from my concert, Halloween Ballads, Tales of Murder, Mayhem, and Ghostly Mischief. I hope you enjoy. Happy Halloween, happy Samhain, happy All Hallows Eve. I am very excited that you're here and I'm excited to share my spooky ballad show with you. Um, if you are watching live, or live, this is pre-recorded, but if you're watching the broadcast on OnJam, uh, thank you so much for trying out this, this new, um, you know, platform, this new style. Uh, I would love to, to hear your feedback about how it works for you. I hope it's really intuitive and easy. Um, and whether you're at the beginning of your Halloween night or the end, depending on your time zone, I hope this is the perfect thing to round out your evening. If you're watching this later or if you're listening to the podcast, uh, you are also very, very welcome. Thank you so much. I'm gonna dive in to the show. Um, before I get to the music, I just wanted to give like a little bit of a preamble about what the ballads are, um, where they come from, what, what my approach to them is. Um, all of the songs that I'll be playing tonight are child ballads, which means that they can be found in this specific categorization of ballads, of English and Scottish ballads, that were recorded by this musicologist, Francis James Child, in the late 19th century. So he was going around, he was um, writing down many, many different versions of the same kinds of songs, and then he was organizing them and deciding what were variations of the same ballad and what were different ballads and then he published them in a series of books, which are um, super cool, super fun to look through. He was a pretty good scholar. He, he, he stayed pretty true to like recording all of the different versions. So in any, any ballad, you'll find like 10 or, you know, so different versions that he wrote out in full. He didn't like kind of like smush them all together into like the best version or something like that, which a lot of scholars did at the time. So um, 
it's fun to be able to go back and see how these different people from different parts of, of England and Scotland would sing the ballads. That being said, this is just one tradition. This is just one um, collection of folk song from one tradition, which has many different collections of folk song that have been made from it. It's not any more or less valid than any other grouping of folk song or traditional ballad that you might find. Um, but just like some people love singing American outlaw ballads and some people love sacred harp, shape note, hymns, um, I just, I really love the child ballads. I, I feel a connection to them and uh, it's just a, a history that I've, I've dived into and explored a lot on my podcast of Song and Bone. There's only two episodes, so a lot is maybe an exaggeration, but it's something I do, something I think about, um, and I'm really excited to share some of that passion with you today and to share my relationship with the ballads, because that's, that's really all it is. It's just about our personal relationships to the music. There's no like pure form of folk music. Um, it's a living tradition that is constantly changing and evolving. So that's what I want to share with you today. And um, while I'm in the, the business of sharing lineage and tradition, uh, like rooting myself in a tradition, um, I would re be remiss not to mention that I am recording this from Abenaki land in Dakana. And um, I'll play a few instruments tonight, but the one I want to give special recognition to is the banjo, um, which is not a European folk instrument. It is a West African folk instrument, or it it is the descendant of West African folk instruments, um, which has come to this part of the world uh, with enslaved people and has been uh, carried by those people and the descendants of those people. Um, and has been appropriated from the descendants of those people. So um, I play this instrument with, with humbleness and with gratitude towards that history. So, or it's kind of a weird way to say it, but hopefully you understand what I mean. Um, yeah, so thank you for um, listening to that, that context, that kind of like, ground setting part of it, which feels important to me. Um, so for each of the ballads, I am going to talk about them. I'm going to talk about the history and kind of like, I mean, the history is maybe not the right word. I'm going to talk about the stories because they're stories. And I'm going to talk about what I kind of take from the stories, the things that stand out to me, the little images that are really interesting and the contexts that maybe you can't really catch the first time around that, um, I feel like add richness to them. But I also want you to be able to hear the ballads and receive them without, you know, me kind of telling you what you're supposed to be hearing. So um, I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna kind of let you hear the ballad and then uh, we'll talk about it afterwards. But I do often get some feedback that people can't really understand what's going on. Um, you know, I'm singing, I'm not necessarily like reading an audiobook, so sometimes you miss some words. Um, and also they're just kind of like wordy, kind of awkward stories sometimes. So in the, if you're one of those people that struggles a little bit, I've there should be a PDF on your 
on jam like display somewhere that you can access through where you're watching this that has the lyrics to the versions I'm singing today. Um, these are very much living documents. I have adapted some of these songs. I've arranged them. I've, you know, edited lines here and there. This isn't like the pure form of the ballad that was sung in 1708. No, it's not like that. So <laughs> these are just my versions of the lyrics, but if, if it helps you to read along, you can totally do that. If you're listening on the podcast, I will try to put a link to that in the show notes so that you can find that if you're also interested. Um, so yeah, without much more further ado, I think I'm going to dive into the first song, which is Child 93. That's like the number that goes with the song in Child's Index. Um, that's not like its official name. Um, it doesn't have one official name, but today I'm calling it Long Lankin. And um, it's definitely the creepiest of the ballads um, that I'm gonna sing today. Uh, truly chilling in ways. The other ones are kind of just like eerie. This one's chilling. Um, so if you don't like murder, home invasion, or like descriptions of gore, you might want to uh, make yourself some tea and come back in a couple minutes. So they've pricked him, they've pricked 
lady Well, Lincoln was high from a chimney so high And the false nurse was burned on a fire So that is Long Lankin, also known as uh, Cruel Lincoln or Lambkin, or if you're familiar with the band Lancum, which is an incredible contemporary Irish band doing Irish trad stuff in just the coolest way. Um, I think their name comes from a version of this song as well, Lankin, Lancum, sorry, jeez. I'm singing Lincoln. Um, yeah, creepy, right? Really creepy, love this. I love the horror elements. Like, it's just perfect historical horror. Like, A24 should make a movie based on this song, just saying. Anyway, um, so, okay. So, the thing about the ballads is that, um, there's all these different versions, as I've mentioned. Child was recording, you know, as many different versions as he could when he was doing this in the in the 1900s, and people have continued that work. Um, another source that I use is this website called Mainly Norfolk, which they are working mostly with English, Irish, Scottish kind of diaspora folk songs, but they're looking at the history of the ballads since recording technology. So since it was like put on wax um, in the early 20th century and then the history of the performance of the song through the folk revival and, and beyond even into modern contemporary artists. So um, when you look at all of those different sources, you get a lot of versions of the same ballad. You get a lot of kind of like different lyric sheets and you can compare them and contrast them and you find um, a few things happen. As, as time goes on, um, this isn't maybe universal, but I definitely think it's a thing that, that the ballads have gotten condensed as our musical culture has changed and people aren't used to listening to 18 verse narrative songs. Um, artists will, you know, cut verses or condense them or combine two, two things and kind of make it a little bit shorter. I do this all the time. I mean, some of the songs I'm singing tonight, I've actively edited out verses because there was just too many. And um, I'm not certain that modern audiences have the same attention span for all the entire story. Um, but when you do look at all of these different versions, with all of their different variations, you can start to see those things that maybe didn't make sense the first time through, like a line that has been confusing, but when you find a different version of the ballad, you realize that actually it's like a, a remnant <clears throat> of, a, of a subplot that got cut or something. So, in this ballad, context is everything. And if you'll notice, the ballad starts with the Lord warning his lady about Lincoln. And 
maybe this is a fine place for it to start from like a narrative perspective, but as a storyteller, I think the question which should have come to me when I first heard it was like, why? Why is the Lord so aware of Lincoln and aware that he's going to come into their house in some way, shape or form? And like, it seems very familiar with their house also. Um, and it turns out, if you read other versions of the ballad, Lankin or Lincoln or whoever his name is in that version was a stonemason. And he built the castle, the, the house that the Lord lives in. It's sometimes literally called a castle. And the Lord did not pay him for that labor building his castle. And so that's why uh, Lincoln has a grievance, um, which admittedly is perhaps results in an overreaction of him breaking into this house and um, murdering, you know, the family. Not condoning that behavior at all. But I do just, I think it's really interesting that in the version I just sang, he's kind of like this bogeyman, right? Like he like lives in the moss, like, he, he's called Long Lankin. He can get through a little hole like a mouse could get through. He kind of reminds me of, of like the Slender Man. I know that's like a trope in modern horror. Um, but then when, like, when you learn that he built their house, it's like, oh, maybe it's not actually that he's like a creepy, non-corporeal like snake person. Maybe it's just that he knows the house and he knows where you can get in and he like knows the window that doesn't lock or things like that because he built it he built the house anyway context is everything um and once once i kind of unlocked that key about lankin being the builder of the house i started to see some other themes about labor in this song um if you'll notice, if you picked up on it, the, the person inside the household, so there's a person inside the household who conspires with Lincoln to create this tragedy. Um, and uh, she's a nurse, a wet nurse. It's her job to feed the baby, little, little Johnson, um, out, out of her body. And that is, I'm sure a relationship that can exist in very lovely, nourishing, consensual ways, but um, historically has been, uh, has taken place in situations of, of very intense inequity where, you know, a woman is basically either in some cases in the Americas, an enslaved woman being made to um, feed uh, a white person's baby or in, um, the British Isles, early modern Europe, you know, vast class disparity where some women would have no choice but to like um, make use of their bodies in this way. And, you know, if a person is feeding a baby from their body, then they have had a baby. So where is this woman's baby? So these are all the questions that like start to come in when you realize that this is the member of the household who conspired with um, Lincoln. And there's there's actually this really cool part that I didn't sing, um, where, 
you know, so the, the nurse and the lady are having their conversation and, you know, the nurse is like, yeah, well, I tried him, you know, in one version, she's like, well, I tried to give him my boob. He didn't want that. I tried to give him an apple. I tried to give him a pear, like come down. He just wants his mom. And the lady is at the top of the stairs and she's like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to come downstairs. It's dark. I'm scared. And, and the nurse says, well, you have, you have three mantles, like, you know, that's kind of like a, a garment, um, made of like pure silver and gold. Like just wear one of those and it'll be bright enough. It'll light your way, which is just such a like saucy, <laughs> saucy little thing to say. Also being like, there's right. There's some kind of like, there's a, there's a subtext there around again, like this woman has this wardrobe full of, of riches of silver and gold, like just wear one of your fancy dresses. That'll be light enough for you. So anyway, that's an interesting tidbit. Um, and then the last like tidbit I find really interesting from a character perspective in this song is the point of view character who like, it's not really clear at first, maybe on a first listen, that she's even really there, but she's there all the way through. There's another, another woman. I think she's a woman. I guess it's unclear. Um, <laughs> I've just <laughs> identified with her maybe. Um, who is another servant in the household, right? The first verse is said my Lord to my lady. Um, so she's narrating this from her perspective and near the end, she's, she's saying, oh master, oh master, please don't blame me for this death. It wasn't my fault. Um, so she's another, like maybe a chambermaid, a lady's maid, something like that in the household. Maybe it's a man. I don't know. Um, but I just, again, I think that's interesting that there's this character kind of on the sidelines who when she steps forward into the story and speaks in her own voice, it's not expressing fear of Lankin, actually. It's expressing fear of her employer. Um, so maybe these people aren't really good people to work for. And maybe you should treat your workers well. I'm just saying. I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a baby murder apologist. Just, you know, have that on the record. That's not what I'm advocating for, but I do love a good horror story and it's always fun when you can find more context. So that is kind of my takeaways on Long Lankin. Um, and there's a lot more kind of history that you can find on this song. It's, it's one of those songs that like, you know, when Child was recording it, like people were swearing that like, this was real. This really happened in, you know, their town. It was this Lord up there. And you know, that wood is called Lankinwood because that's where he hid. So, but there's like a few different versions of that story in different localities. So it's kind of maybe a real thing that actually happened that has been kind of like joined the pool of urban legends and yeah, take what you will from that. I'm gonna move on to the next song, the next ballad of the night. And this one is um, Child 79 in his index. And he calls it the wife of Usher's Well. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> um, 
But the version I'm singing I've been calling Lady Gay because there's not actually any reference to a wife of Usher's well in the version that I'm singing. And I learned this arrangement and the chords and the tune uh, from a Dave Van Ronk song that he recorded in the 70s and he called it Lady Gay. So, Lady Gay slash The Wife of Usher's Well.
than like chillingly horrifying like the first one was um, but I really love it I really love uh, the way in which it kind of explores the relationship between the living and the dead and how the living can do or not do things that might like impact that relationship and might almost kind of disrupt the ecology of of that connection. Uh, so just in case you kind of missed the shape of the song, I, I know I sing that one in a very like croony way. So um, a reminder, you can look at the lyrics if you had trouble catching them. And um, the general story is that a woman sends her children away, they die, um, I think of illness, and she's just so grieved, she's so like, taken over by her grief um, that she can't move on, she can't really do anything. Um, and this, so this is what I, I do. I start to make connections with other mythic stories, folkloric stories, and to be clear, um, I am absolutely not positing that ancient pagan mythology has like been passed down unbroken in an ancient tradition to this song about dead kids. Um, not at all, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but there are patterns that emerge that are interesting to look at and talk about. So this ballad um, feels to me like it has a lot of similarities with the story of Demeter and Persephone from Greek mythology and uh, that area of the world. Um, and if you don't know that story, which it's pretty, I feel like it's a pretty well integrated story in our culture. <laughs> Sorry, you're just funny. <laughs> That's my sweetie is behind the camera uh, helping me out. He's being a very lovely person tonight. This is the second time we've recorded this concert all the way through, so uh, the first time it got deleted. Um, so just a shout out to him. Anyway, the story of Demeter and Persephone in which Demeter is Persephone's mother. Uh, Persephone gets kind of like taken um, to the underworld by Hades and Demeter being the goddess of of the earth, of agriculture, of fertility, um, is so grieved by this that, that she shuts down, nature shuts down, it becomes winter. And you even see this in the version that I just sang where um, the woman, the mother, kind of invokes these images of the natural world, of the, the wind will never blow, the, the fish will never swim, um, to express her grief. So. You know, another thing that just pings as a similarity. And then 
In Demeter and Persephone's story, you may know that Persephone eats the pomegranate seeds which in the underworld, which make it so that she can't come back as she was, as Demeter wants her. She has to be this new thing, this queen of the dead who maybe can come up for some of the year, but she's not gonna be as she was anymore. She's changed state. And the food has been like a, a symbol or a key of that for her in her experience. So in this song, we see kind of like the, the inverse, right? These children are dead, and when they come back to the world of the living, she, their mother wants to feed them food of the world of the living, and they cannot eat it. Um, they don't want to eat it. It's not of their bodies anymore, and like they are in a different plane. And so we see this not just in, you know, Greek mythology, but in like, fairy folklore, like other kind of strains of folkloric storytelling in Western Europe about um, the food of the fairies. You can't eat the food of the fairies. If you eat the food of the fairies, you know, you will experience one of these state changes. So again, another kind of story about food being this symbol of our reality and the food that we eat dictating our reality. Just like Ooh, there's there's spiritual wisdom in these ballads for sure if you're looking for it if you want it um, you know it's it's surrounded by a matrix of complex cultural baggage but uh, <laughs> we're all doing the work of unpacking that so so interacting with these ballads in that way is not I think less worthy of a pursuit of cultural learning and unlearning um, and the other just like little uh, image that I love about this song is the, the last verse. Well, the refrain about like green grass growing on your head and cold clay on your feet is very, very common in folk song and ballads. You'll hear that over and over again. But I love the last line about the winding sheet where they say, every tear you shed for us does wet our winding sheets, which are the winding sheets are the, the fabric that their bodies are wrapped in before they're buried. Um, so it's as if like her, like she's actually crying so much, like it's bothering them. It's like waking them up. It's like dripping on their faces, like water torture or something. I don't know. It's just, it's just a funny image. And it's also, um, the winding sheet is like very common as a symbol of death and as a symbol of the dead in stories about, songs about ghosts. Um, and, and what I'm calling ghostly revenants. So basically like the dead who have come out of their graves and are, you know, interacting with the living in one way or the other. Um, and I have heard stories about like historical people, real people who would like sew their winding sheets before they died or like in preparation of their death or in fear of their death. Um, so I think of it as this symbol, both like on both sides of the coin, right? Before death, it's the symbol of something that like you can see that will be representative of your death. And then in these songs, it's coming back around and it's, and it's representing the dead as they re-enter the world of the living. So the winding sheet. And um, yeah, just to ping back for a second about the kind of like, 
the the spiritual wisdom or the like the little like more pagan tidbits that you find in these songs they're actually like really rife with them there's so many songs about witches about um elves and you know fairies and ghosts and other kinds of like mischief like that um and the version that i kind of learned this song from dave van ronk's version is actually is actually super christianized um it's it's set at christmas time it's uh they're talking about like our lord jesus instead of the lord of the dead and that's great there's like lots of versions that have that christian imagery um and it's not like there's not christian imagery in the ballads there is there's plenty of christian imagery in the ballads but like less than you would expect for like early modern western european music any strain of you know western european music in the last 400 years you know there's not a lot of christian glosses in it like there are whole songs that talk about elves that never mention christ so um i kind of i like that aspect of it so i did I did choose a lyrical version of the song, which which had less of the Christian imagery um, using the Lord of the Dead and setting the song at Martinmas, which is November 11th as a Saint's Day on, or like a you know Catholic feast day on November 11th, which like many Catholic feast days kind of packages up a lot of pagan custom, folk custom into a Catholic Christian day. So Martin Miss was historically associated with like uh, like sacrifice, um, like the killing of the animals before winter that you couldn't feed for winter um, and and relationships with the dead and like doing finishing unfinished business with the dead. Um, that is a um, so I just think that's cool like because it, it feels kind of like a like a Halloween adjacent holiday. So for this one to be set during that, um, I was excited about that choice. Um, yeah, I'm gonna dive into the next ballad. I'm just going to check one thing with my audio real quick. Audio is good. Thanks for bearing with me there. So this next ballad is another story about a quote unquote ghostly revenant um but rather than being um kind of like a family thing it's a a lover's story it's it's child 77 and it's called sweet william's ghost most often and that title works for this version because it's definitely about a ghost named william She heard a dead man moan 
Three 
Marjorie, Lady Marjorie, for love or for charity, will you give to me that faith and trust that once I gave to So that one, you know, on first pass, it kind of seems just like a simple, like, tragical love story. And there's, like, a lot of tragical love stories in the ballads, in the child ballads. And there's a lot about William and Margaret, or in this case, Marjorie. Um, she's much more often called Margaret. I just chose a version where she was called Marjorie. Um, they, they feature in a lot of ballads and they're like always kind of doomed. They're like never gonna make it, you know? Um, but there's like, there's one called The Drowned Lovers or The Clydesdale where um, they both drown in a river. Um, Anais Mitchell has done a cover of that on her, on her ballad record, which is really, really lovely. You should check it out if you haven't heard it. Um, so yes, so, there's lots of stories, so so they seem kind of like you know um, just a tragic love story. But when when you look at it, there's like there's some other stuff going on, and um, I think this one's really interesting because like it has a lot of of sexual subtext to it, in my opinion, um, which I just find pretty interesting, like ghost sex is a cool thing to get out of your creepy ballads, right? Like, that's a cool trope. Cool trope. I have clearly a weird taste of what is, like, cool in my stories. Um, but maybe you are also weird and you understand, like, what I see in this. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I will admit that in this, uh, ballad, this one, is my most Frankensteined ballad of the night. It's my most like uh, interpreted ballad. I, I, I added more of myself to this arrangement than any of the other ones probably um, because there's two general plots that this story can take. I mean, there's lots of variation, but there's like two general like divergences. And I think they're both really cool and I couldn't decide which one I wanted. So they follow mostly the same pattern through the beginning of the song. William arrives, he's a ghost, he's dead. Um, there's a back and forth where like, she's kind of realizing that he's dead. There's like a, oh, your, your cheeks, they look so gray, my love, kind of like a <laughs> little red riding hood wolf kind of thing happening. And he's like, yeah, I'm dead. Um, he's not really cagey about it. 
but he's asking repeatedly for something back from Marjorie or Margaret. Um, in this case, it's faith and troth. Give me back my faith and troth, which is an old-timey turn of phrase, meaning like my pledged vow or like my sworn oath, or like my honor, kind of. Like he's promised, they've promised something to each other. They've promised to marry, probably. And um, he like needs, he needs that promise back. He needs that to like be revoked so that he can dissolve into the afterlife that's the that's the link that's keeping him as a revenant as opposed to like the unhealthy grief of the mother in the last one this is kind of like an unresolved promise um and sometimes it's a literal token like a key or something that he has to get back from her um so he's asking for this back and she's like no i don't want to give it back to you i want you to kiss me instead and that's when he's like well my breath really stinks, Margaret. I'm dead. I'm a corpse. Like, I will kill you if I kiss you, which is like so disgusting. And I just, I love that. I think it's really gross and cool. Um, but that's not, that's not a deal breaker for her. She's like, she's still interested in playing this game where he's asking for it back. And she's like, no, you gotta do some other stuff for me. And um, I love, the stanza where she takes her skirts above her knee and goes walking over the hills because sure, like, makes sense that you like hike your skirts up while you're walking on the wet moors or wherever she is. Um, but uh, I do think there's some double entendre there, right? Like pulling her skirts above her knee, walking over the hills at night with a dead man, feels like there's some connotation happening. So they get to the graveyard and, you know, sometimes they're at like a church and she's like still kind of trying to like get him to marry her. And he's like, I am literally dead. Um, and they have some conversations about his grave, about the afterlife. And you know, she expresses this desire to lie down in his grave with him. I mean, come on obviously a song about sex um but this is where it diverges because sometimes um she, they, they kind of like it's unresolved whether she gives it back to him or not and, and he goes back into his grave and then she dies lays down on the earth and dies and it's very dramatic and um perhaps a evidence that like the intimacy that they shared has kind of like been catching, right? Like his death, his, his deathiness is catching and she's got it and she's gonna die too because of that. Um, that's cool, love that. Um, there's this other version though where she's saying, I wanna lie down in your grave, I wanna like be sleeping in the earth with you. And he's like, well, actually there's no room because like my grave is filled with all of these other ghosts of women who I have wronged and the, who are dead and the babies that they had who are also dead because I abandoned them. And like, actually I'm like a really bad guy. And you know, this faith and troth thing is the last thing I need. Like I just, you know, the hellhounds are waiting for me. I'm just trying to like wrap up this business. Like it's the only thing I can do. And at that point, she's like, 
oh, yeah, like here, take it back. I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to deal with you anymore. Um, and she goes on her way, and it's like, yay, good for you, Margaret. Um, but I, I like both versions. Like, I like the hellhound stuff that's, like, kind of cool and creepy, and I like the, like, ghostly sex death thing. Um, so I Frankensteined this version so that it's ambiguous, right? So he's, like, continuing to ask for his faith and troth back, and... Um, it ends just with that ask, with that plea, um, because you can decide what happens to Margaret this time, right? Like it, it is this like kind of like, it's almost like a, I think of it sometimes like a, like a fandom or like a fan universe, like where you, you know, you can write, you can write a different ending. You can write the alternate universe because you're just kind of using these same characters or these same tropes in different ways. Um, so this week on ballad show you get to decide whether margaret goes on her way or succumbs to the pleasures of the grave and you know if that was like really not your thing thinking about like ghost sex then like thank you for bearing with me and my weird creepy little mind so <laughs> william and margaret that is almost the end of this event. Um, I have one more song to play and I think I'm not going to like do my big talky bit after the song um, because I think it's kind of nice to end on music and just like let that carry you out. And this is, this is a fun one for that. So I'm just gonna give a brief intro to it. I'll let you take your own thoughts away with it. You don't need to hear all of mine. I've been talking enough. Um, but this is a song that, it's child number four, so way at the beginning. And uh, he calls it Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight. Um, that name makes no sense in the context of the song I'm singing because there's no reference to Lady Isabel, Isabel or an Elf Knight. It's just kind of like regular people having drama happen to them. There's not really like an elf connotation. Although in other versions there is an elf connotation where like the the nefarious agent is an elf. But in this case he's just a man. Um, it also bears a lot of similarity to the like folkloric story of Bluebeard. If you're not familiar with that one, Bluebeard, serial killer, wife killer, um, with a twist, not your traditional, you know, the woman dies at the end kind of thing, uh, which is nice. It's nice, right, to have a break from that. Um, so yes, this is, I'm calling this one Northlands because that makes sense to me as a story, as a, as a title for the story that I'm telling. And I learned the tune to this one from a, an English folk singer, a current a contemporary English folk singer named Sam Lee. And I'm planning to record this one on the new album. So if you are one of my lovely, amazing, delightful Kickstarter backers who hopefully are seeing this concert as 
I shared with you as a thank you, a free thank you for all of your support. Um, you can look forward to maybe hearing a recording of this one. And I'm just gonna do a jump cut on this because I have to retune my guitar into an opened tuning and you don't need to see that. So there'll be a jump cut, but I promise it's all still, you know, made to you. If I mess up, you're gonna see it, don't worry. Back. Beautiful G minor tuning. This is Northlands. I'm back. <laughs> Beautiful G minor tuning. This is Northlands.
Thank you so much. If you've been here for this whole concert, for all of the rambling, for the creepy child murders and the ghost sex and all like the weird Halloween ballad shit that I'm clearly too into, then thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you liked the music and uh, I hope you'll stay tuned. You can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, you can buy my, my first record on my Bandcamp page. Um, you can follow my Kickstarter, which has been successfully funded, but I'll be posting updates there. And yeah, there's just, you can follow me here on OnJam if you're on OnJam um, to like become a fan and, and see when I post more content like this, if this works out. And um, last but not least, there was something else I was gonna say. Oh, my podcast, I'm gonna release this just the audio from this as a podcast episode. The podcast is of Song and Bone, of Song and Bone. It's on, you know, Apple. I don't think it's on Spotify, but I'll work on that. Um, yeah, stay in touch. Let me know what you thought. Thanks so much and happy Halloween. Mm -hmm.